Well, when I was a little boy, I, I loved baseball, and in particular, I loved catchers. Uh, if you're not familiar with baseball, the catcher is the guy who straps on all the gear, and he is back behind the home plate where the pitcher throws it. And I loved catchers, and I loved catcher's gear. And I think it's because when I was a kid, and, and I would sort of like squat down and watch the game, the only person I'd see all the time was the catcher. And so I figured, oh, the catcher is kind of the center of action. So even as a little guy, I really wanted uh, to be a catcher, and I wanted to have catcher's gear. Uh, there's a picture uh, of, of me in a face mask. But I wasn't happy with just the face mask. I, I wanted the complete set. I wanted the whole stuff. I wanted all. I want the chest protector and the shin guards and the helmet and the whole thing. And so I remember one time my mom had been out and about on a Saturday morning and happened to drive by a garage sale, and she found, for very inexpensive, a full set of kids' catching gear. And I'm sure when she gave it to me, it was, already, it was too big. But I loved that catcher's gear. It was orange and black, and uh, I, just, I just remember putting it on. And I, when I put it on, it was like I was a new person. In fact, my dad, uh, when I was a kid, he was going back to school, and so he was working at a batting cage, and most kids would want to go to the batting cage to hit, and I definitely did a lot of that, but I remember one time actually going to the batting cage and saying, Dad, can I have some tokens, and I got some tokens, and I put on the catching gear, and I went in the machine and just so I could catch, and that's how I was kind of into it, because the catcher was the center of the action, the catcher had all the cool gear, and when I put on catching gear, I was a new person. And what Paul is doing in this particular passage today, the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter to the Ephesians, is he's telling us, put on your catching gear. Put on the full armor of God. You're in the center of a battle. There's a war going on. There's a battle that's happening. And you don't just need a few pieces. You can't get by with just the helmet or just the shin guards. You need the whole set. And get this, when you put on this whole set of the armor of God, you will be a new person. Yeah, it's a battle. Yeah, it's hard but you can stand firm, protected in the covering of Christ. That's what's going on in this passage, and that's what we're going to unpack today. So if you would, please pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word and how you use it to open our hearts and open our minds and deepen our understanding. God, I know that some today have never heard of this idea of the armor of God, and that feels very foreign and strange. I pray that you'd help me make it clear to them. God, I pray for others who heard about the armor of God and experienced it in Sunday school and flannel graph and many, many years ago. This is all too familiar. I pray that you'd give them fresh insight. God, I pray for all of us that you would help us to see how you want to clothe and cover and protect us. Be our shield, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So I want to ask three questions as we look at this idea of the armor of God. Uh, I want to ask, why do we need it? What does it mean to put it on? And then what is the armor itself? So the first question we're going to ask today is, why do we need the armor of God? Uh, Paul says in verse 11, put on the whole armor of God. That's the complete set, not just a piece here and a piece there. Put on the whole armor of God. He says again in verse 13, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Of God, So we're supposed to put on this complete set of God's armor. This is an illustration, obviously, that, that the Apostle Paul's using. Why do we need this? Well, if you were with us last week, what we said was you need the armor of God because you're in a war. You're in a war. This is a battle. Paul does not say put on the sweatsuit of God. He does not say put on the yoga pants of God. He says put on the armor of God. You're in a war. And your enemy in this war, he tells us in verse 12, is not flesh and blood. It's not people. You might think, oh, oh, I know who my enemy is. It's my boss. 
I know who my enemy is. It's those politicians. I know who my enemy is. It's the government. I know who my enemy is. It's corporate America. I know who my enemy is. It's my spouse. I actually got an email this week from a woman who said, for many years, I've thought of my husband as the enemy. And God's beginning to help me see that I'm attacked by a different enemy. Your enemy's not flesh and blood. Your enemy is the powers and the principalities. Look at what it says in verse 12. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. These are all ways of describing the demonic realm. The idea that there is, there are angels, there are demons, and these demons seek to destroy you. That's who your enemy is. Now, this enemy seeks to destroy us by lying to us and by accusing us. We looked at some of that last week. This is a dangerous thing. That's why we need armor. It's a continual thing, which is why we're told to wrestle. That was a continual word there in verse 12. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We keep wrestling against these powers and principalities. And our strength, we saw last week, doesn't come from us, but it comes from the Lord. Look at verse 10, where it said, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. What we said was that this is not a rah-rah thing where Paul's saying, hey, it's time to dig deep. You can do this. You be strong. But rather, it's a way of saying, be being strengthened in the Lord. It's the Lord's help. Don't look to yourself. Look to him. You're in a war, so you need armor. But here's the second reason that Paul wants us to have the armor of God, why we need it. And this comes through verses 11, 13, and 14, is that God wants us to stand. He doesn't want us to wither. He doesn't want us to shrink back. He doesn't want us to run and hide. He wants us to stand, to take a stand in the middle of this battle, a position of strength. Look at what it says in verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Look at verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand In the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm, verse 14, stand therefore, having put on all this armor. We're we're, we're trying to get ourselves to stand, right? There's a storm coming, there's a battle raging, and if we're not able to stand, we'll just blow away. That's what happened some uh, months ago to one of our pool umbrellas, right, out in our backyard. We've got a pool umbrella, and I looked out there after a big storm, and it wasn't there. And I thought, oh, I know what happened. It, it's probably in the pool. And I looked in the pool, and it wasn't in the pool. And I looked in the side of the yard, and it wasn't there. And I looked in the rest of the yard, and it had blown to our neighbor's yard. Like, whew, I was thinking, that would have been fun to watch if that had happened. But it happened because the, the wind was strong, and it wasn't screwed in enough to stand. Is that where you are? See, some of you, you go, oh, I know I'm under attack. I know the storm is raging. Well, here's the thing. God wants you to stand. He wants you to be firm. He doesn't want you to wither and crumble. And so he's telling you here, here's how you stand. Here's how you stay strong. You put on the armor of God. Here's how commentator John Stott said it. He says this, wobbly Christians who have no firm foothold in Christ are an easy prey for the devil. And Christians who shake like reeds and rushes Cannot resist the wind when the principalities and powers begin to blow. You can't stand in your own strength. You need armor. Second question then is what does it mean to put on the armor of God? 
What does it mean to put on the armor of God? And here's my argument today, and I'm going to show you this from Scripture, is that when Paul says, put on the armor of God, that is his way of saying, put on Christ. Put on the armor of God is put on Christ. There's all this language throughout Ephesians 29 times. It says, in Christ, in the Lord, in him. All of Paul's writings, over and over and over, it talks about being in Christ. But that's a very conceptual idea, isn't it? What do you mean I'm in Christ? Ah, What does that mean? And so Paul is using an analogy here to help make this a bit more concrete. And so the armor that he's telling us to put on is putting on Christ. Three reasons why I think that's the case. Number one is in Isaiah 59, that's where Paul's getting this imagery. Isaiah 59 talks about the Messiah who would look at all the injustice in the world and say, no one else can fix this. I'm going to put on a breastplate of righteousness and a helmet of salvation, and I'm going to come in. A messianic expectation that a savior would come. And so Paul is, is drawing on that imagery. And so when he tells us, put on the armor of God, he's saying, put on the Messiah, the one who came to fight for you. Second reason is this word in verse 11, put on the whole armor of God. The only other place in the book of Ephesians where put on is used is back in chapter 4, verse 24. In 4.22, we're told to put off our old self, but then verse 24, it says, and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, you know the old you. You were very comfortable with the old you, but now that you're a follower of Christ, you've been joined to Christ, so Don't live like the old you. Put off your old self and put on the new self. Well, who's the new self? It's Christ. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Now God has made you alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. So lean into that. But here's the third reason why I think you could say that putting on the armor of God is putting on Christ. It's because it says this in Romans 13. Same author, Paul. He says this. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light, very similar language. Let us walk properly in the daytime, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Put on the armor of light, put on the armor of God is putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need every day to put on Christ, to be clothed and covered in Christ. We've got a woman on our staff who often works kind of up at the front desk, and I don't pay super close attention to what she wears on any given day, but the thing I notice is that she's always covered in a blanket. She always has a blanket with her. And anybody like this at your job or your house, you're like, it's just freezing all the time, right? In the winter, it's cold. And then in the summer, it's cold because the AC is blowing so hard. And so everywhere she goes, she's just got this blanket, right? She's like that little kid in Peanuts who's like just drags this blanket around. Like she's, she's covered in this blanket all the time. This is what Paul's saying. He's saying, listen, you, you have different identities. You have different needs. You have different things you're doing in your life. But all the time, you need to be covered in Christ clothed in Christ, protected by Christ, warmed by Christ. So that leads us to our third question. This is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time, is what does this armor look like? And again, the idea of being in Christ, it's so, like, ah, conceptual. 
How would it look a bit more concrete? That's what Paul's trying to do here. So what does this armor look like? Let's read it, and then we'll go through each of these pieces. So in verse 14, he begins to talk about the pieces of armor. He says this. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So six different pieces of armor that he's talking about, all of which are a complete set. These all go together, and these are all pictures of how we are clothed in Christ. And as followers of Jesus, we have to lean into it. We have to think about it. We have to consciously go through a process of putting on Christ every day, because every day we're in a battle. So the first piece of armor, he says, is the belt of truth. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Of truth. The belt of truth is knowing and living your true identity. If, if, if Jesus was the one who came full of grace and truth, then it makes sense that we would gird our loins, that's how some translations say it, gird our loins with truth. The truth is Jesus himself. And so we are covered in Christ. I love that phrase, gird your loins. Right? It feels like very... I don't know, rugged or something. And it made me think of, um, you know, a couple years ago, I got to go to, to Juarez, Mexico. We've got another team going down to Juarez next month. It's going to be, or next week. And uh, I'm so excited that they're going to get to go. And it's a great trip, especially for people like me who are not handy. Anyone else, like, you can't fix nothing? Or like, I can change a car battery. That is it. I, I can't fix anything. But you go to Juarez, and it's awesome because you come back, and you're like, well, I built a house in six hours. It's like, well... Yeah, technically. But you, so you feel, real, you feel real tough. And one of the things that I loved was uh, when I went to Juarez, they, on the list, they said, well, you have to have a tool belt. <laughs> Never needed one of those. And so, so it was awesome because I went and I, I got a tool belt. And that first day, you know, I girded my loins with a tool belt. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I'm tra- like, I just walk a little taller. I'm a little tougher. I'm a little bit, more, yeah. Right? And I had my hammer in there. My nails, I didn't have anything else that I could put in there, but, but I had that, and I just felt like I'm girded. My loins are girded in a belt, right? That, that's what he's saying. He's saying, gird your loins with the belt of truth. Now, truth is so important because Jesus is the truth, but also because the way the enemy attacks you is with lies. Remember that? So that last week, the enemy lies to you. When the enemy lies, he's speaking his native language. So the enemy might lie to you and say, you know what? God has forsaken you. But the truth is that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. That's the truth. The enemy might lie to you and say, God couldn't love someone like you. But the truth is that we know God loves us because he showed it for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The enemy might come and say, God must be punishing you. This wouldn't be happening if you hadn't had something really, you know, go bad that you did wrong. But the truth comes and says, Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Or the enemy might come and lie to you and say, you know what? You've had it hard. You should just 
follow your heart and do what you feel like you ought to do because God wouldn't want you to be unhappy, which is a lie. God wants you to be holy. And so the truth would say, Jesus, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, right? We need the truth. We need to be girded in the truth. We need to be strong in the truth because that's being strong in Christ. Second piece of armor Paul talks about is the breastplate of righteousness. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. This is covered in Christ's righteousness. Remember, this imagery comes from Isaiah 59, where the Messiah, who is Jesus, would come covered in righteousness. The good news of the gospel, get this, the good news of the gospel is not just that God forgives your sins, but that he credits you with Christ's righteousness. You, in order to stand before God, acceptable to him, You can't just be sinless, you have to be righteous. And the good news of the gospel is that Christ forgives our sin and covers us in his righteousness. And so Paul's saying, if you want to resist the lies and the accusations of the enemy, you got to remember, you're covered in Christ. Christ loves you, Christ has protected you, Christ has declared you righteous, even while you were a sinner, even while you were unclean, he covered that and he covered you with himself. Here's the imagery that I love. It comes from the book of Zechariah. This is a great picture of being covered in the righteousness of Christ. In Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah has a vision, and here's what he says in this vision. He says, Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. Now, now get the setting here. The setting is a courtroom. And there's this man, Joshua, who's a high priest. So he's like the most uh, significant religious leader in the land of Israel. And the courtroom scene is that Joshua, the high priest, is there. The angel of the Lord is there. And Satan is standing right there to accuse him. Now, if you were here last week, you know that I said what the word Satan literally means is accuser. So what that's saying is Satan was standing right by his side to Satan him. Most significant religious leader, Satan's going, he's nothing. He doesn't deserve it. You know what he did. You know how dirty he is. That's the picture. You get the picture? Zechariah continues. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Don't you love this? The one going to Joshua's defense is not Joshua. He's not making his own defense. He's not trying to come up with an argument. But rather, the Lord is speaking and saying, Satan, you got to be kidding. This is my guy. He's plucked from the fire. I've chosen him. I've protected him. I'm covering him. And then look at this imagery of, of covering. Now, Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. Isn't that a beautiful picture? 
I mean, how good is that? You are filthy. You are dirty. There's no sense of like, no, you're not dirty. No, you are. But the exchange of the gospel is Christ gets your sin. He, covered, he doesn't commit it, but he pays for it. On the cross, he experiences the fire you deserve so that you can be plucked out of it and given pure, white, clean robes. That's the breastplate of righteousness covered in the righteousness of Christ. What if you put that on every day? Think about how that would encourage you. Think about how that would help you stand. Here's the third piece of armor. Our shoes of gospel readiness. Shoes of gospel readiness, which I'm describing that as being firm-footed in, the, in gospel reconciliation, both with God and with others. Look at what it says in verse 15. So we have the belt of truth, we have the breastplate of righteousness, verse 15, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. It's interesting that shoes are about readiness, right? One of the things you say to your kid all the time before you are ready to leave, wear your shoes. Do you have your shoes? I know some of you don't ask that question, but on the authority of God's word, you need to start asking that question. (laughs) Because when they get somewhere and they don't have their shoes, you go, oh, they're not ready. They can't do this. We can't do that. We can't go there. Right? Mary, the other day, my little four-year-old, we wanted to take her to the gym. And and one of the gyms that occasionally we go to has a rock wall that little kids can climb. But you can only climb it if you have shoes. We said, Mary, you got to put on your shoes because you got to be ready so that you can climb the wall. That's what Paul's saying. This word ready is this idea of being prepared. It also could be translated as firmness, as shoes for your feet, having put on the firmness given by the gospel of peace. Listen, Jesus came with the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace was, in Jesus' lips, the kingdom of God is at hand. I'm coming to make all things new. I'm coming to make it where you could be reconciled with God. You are a sinner separated from him, but you could be reconciled with him. And you could be reconciled with one another, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, man, woman, united in Christ. That's the gospel of peace. Let me ask you, are you solidly planted in the gospel of peace? That's who, that's who the Lord wants you to be. What sort of tracks do you leave behind you? I've noticed just all day because it's wet outside. Anytime everyone comes in, there's little tracks that we leave with our feet. What are the tracks that you leave behind you? Do you leave tracks of tension? Do you leave tracks of argument? Tracks of who I showed them? Or do you leave tracks of peace, of reconciliation? kindness. See, isn't this ironic too, that one of our weapons in a war is the gospel of peace? Because what the enemy wants to do is he wants to stir up dissension. He wants to get it where people don't get along and there's lots of strife and there's lots of argument and there's lots of, well, look at me, no, look at me, right? That's what he wants to do. And the gospel of peace is saying, no, I, I have peace with God and I have peace with you because of the blood of Christ. And we need to put that on every day. Fourth is the shield of faith. The shield of faith. We are protected by trusting in God. The shield of faith. Verse 16. 
In all circumstances, that's a key phrase. In all circumstances, not just once in a while, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Now, when I think of shield, especially this kind of ancient stuff, I, I typically think of like a little round shield. I don't know, do you think, what's the shape of it? I think of like a little round one. You know, you got a sword in one hand and a shield in the other and you're kind of dodging and doing all this. Or maybe like, a, like your family crest would be kind of that sort of shield. What Paul actually has in mind here, the word he's using, this is a, a Roman shield that was big and rectangular and kind of curved. They would glue together pieces of wood. They'd cover it in animal skin, rim it with iron if they could. And it was big. I mean, it was the kind of thing you would sort of take cover underneath. It wasn't just a little thing that you had to have like perfect aim in order to be protected. It was just saying, no, you are blanketed in protection. Here's what Paul's saying. Put on the blanket protection of faith. Faith is about trust. Faith is about looking to God instead of looking to yourself. See, so many of us, what we take refuge in is not the Lord. We take it refuge in our own intelligence. You know, give me enough time, I'll figure this out. We take refuge in our problem-solving skills. We take refuge in our network. Well, you know what, if I just talk to the right people, and I'll, let me call the principal, and let me, let me get this figured out. We take refuge in our money. There's so much we don't pray about because we just have money. Paul says, take refuge be covered, be protected by this shield of faith. And what's amazing about this shield of faith is that if you're covered in a shield of faith, you're able to keep advancing in the battle, right? Think about this. If I'm covered knowing that these flaming arrows of the enemy, and by the way, this was fascinating. Ephesus is where Artemis was. Artemis was this goddess that all the Ephesians worshiped, and her main, her main weapon was bow and arrow. So Paul's saying, hey, you're persecuted by all these Artemis worshipers? they can't touch the faith that you have in God. And here's the thing. When you have this shield, you're able to keep advancing. You're able to keep moving. You don't have to retreat, but rather you can stand. Makes me go back and think about the catcher's gear. Right? The catchers are trained to do something that makes no sense, which is that when the ball comes and you see that it's coming low and it's going to be in the dirt, you are trained to let it hit you. Right? And so catchers do all these drills where they go side to side, and they don't try to catch it. They just try to let it hit them. Right? You get all kinds of baseballs off of your inner thighs, off of your arms. You have to put your chin down because if you put your chin up, you might get it on the Adam's apple. Right? But the whole thing is it's, it's totally counterintuitive. Right? This is why kids don't want to be catchers. <laughs> this is why they just put the big wide kid behind the plate because he's just naturally going to sort of run into it. But... But get this, you're trained to do something that doesn't make sense. Move toward the pain. Why? Because you're protected by the gear. Here's what he's saying. You can keep moving toward pain in all circumstances. No matter what you're facing, no matter how difficult it is, you can stand because you're covered in a shield of faith. Here's the Fifth piece of armor is the helmet of salvation. 
This is just simply realizing the new life that you have in Christ. It's, it's mentally aware, okay, I'm covered in salvation. I've, I, I have been saved. Here, Paul's not talking about some future idea that someday we'll be saved from hell, but that right now, Right now, if you're a follower of Christ, you are saved. This is what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5. He said, we were dead in our trespasses, but we've been made alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. That's what he's talking about. Christian, you feel attacked? You feel accused? You feel like the forces of evil are coming at you? Remember, put on the helmet of salvation that God has saved you. Helmets are so important. Every time I, I, I see someone going down the street in a motorcycle with no helmet, I just think, oh, Lord, protect them. My father-in-law, he's a cyclist, and, uh, you know, he was out cycling last summer, and it was kind of dusk, and he was going down a hill, and he thought the sidewalk that he had, he thought there was like a gentle sort of smooth thing, but he misread it because of the dusk, and he just went, boom, straight into the thing and flew over the handlebars and probably had his life saved by a helmet. I love Jerry Seinfeld has a stand-up bit where he says, uh, we, we know all these things that will kill us, and rather than stopping doing those things, we just wear helmets. Right? Like, like, maybe we should just stop doing all this stuff that will kill us, but no, let's just put on a helmet. And that's kind of what's going on here. Paul's going, listen, you can't stop this. You can't get out of this battle. You can't opt out. You're in it. So you better have a helmet, and the helmet is that God has saved you. Christ has saved you. You are in Christ. No matter what you're facing, he's for you. Put that on. And here's the last piece of armor Paul talks about is the sword of the Spirit. Take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, verse 17, which is the word of God. Putting on the sword of the Spirit is attacking and defending with God's word. There's, a, there's an attack element to having a sword, and there's a defense element to have a sword. Think about it. You have a sword, right? You're trying to attack with it. You're also trying to protect with it. And the way that the kingdom of God advances against the power of darkness is through the word of God, through the bold proclamation of the gospel, that we can be made right with God, that God is in Christ making all things new. That's, that's what pushes back the darkness. So when you know the word of God, when you can speak the word of God, when someone at work comes to you and they go, I've noticed that you seem kind of different. What's up with that? You don't have to go, well, uh, I don't know. I guess I was just raised different. But you can pull out the sword of the spirit and say, you know what? I've been made new by Christ. And I'm his ambassador. And, and the kingdom advances. Right, so there's an attack element, an offense element. There's also a defense element to this. Right, Jesus himself was tempted for 40 days by the devil out in the wilderness. Three different times he was tempted. And three different times, how did Jesus answer? With the word of God. It is written. It is written. It is written. We need the sword of the Spirit. Now, here's something I thought was so fascinating as I researched this, is when I think of the sword of the Spirit, I think of this big, like, kind of sword, right? The kind, sorry about spitting on you there, Bethany. <laughs> this big sword, right? The kind you would hang up in like a man cave, 
right? Like a big, heavy, like, oh, like, right? That's what I picture, the sword of the spirit. That feels like that fits with all this armor stuff. But here's the thing. There's actually a different Greek word for that kind of sword, that big, broad sword. This is a word that is kind of more like a short sword, more like a dagger. And get this, every soldier would have had one of these short swords. See, some Christians think, well, I don't really need to know the word of God because there are some pastors who, whoosh, they have the big sword. And I just got to get some people around them and they, they do all the fighting with the sword, but I don't really need it. No. Paul says, no. Everyone carries this sword. Everyone needs this sword. The kingdom of God does not advance with a few professional Christians wielding some big sword, but with a bunch of ordinary people leaning into God's word. That's the sword of the spirit. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, shoes of readiness, shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit. Now, what holds all of that together is told in verse 18, and that's prayer. It's all held together by what Paul is going to call all prayer. Now, sometimes people read this and they think verse 18, look at verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Some people think, oh, well, that, that prayer thing, that's just another piece of armor. It's actually seven pieces of armor. But he doesn't say, put on the shin guards of prayer, put on the face mask of prayer. He doesn't use an analogy there. Rather, it seems like prayer is this material that's weaving it all together, that's holding it all together. So you have all these different pieces of armor, and they're all made of Kevlar. They're all made of prayer. Prayer is how we engage. Prayer is how we put Christ on. Prayer is how we remember these things. We are praying all the time to put on the armor of God. There's a great prayer someone sent to me that uh, what someone has done, and I, I couldn't ever figure out who actually authored this, but they authored a prayer called Praying the Armor of God. What they do is they take each element of the armor of God, and they just turn it into a paragraph of prayer. And we just have posted that article on our website. If you go to any of our social media stuff, you can find a link to it. It's an amazing prayer to pray, to think about, how do I actually do this? How do I actually put this on? But you do it through prayer. And notice the comprehensiveness of this prayer. Look at verse 18 again. Notice the word all. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. <laughs> that is so how we, that's so not how we pray. Most of us pray sometimes with some prayer, alert for a little while, for a few people. And Paul says, no, no, no. The thing that's going to hold all this together, the thing that's going to keep you going strong, the thing that's going to keep you connected to Jesus, it's prayer. Listen, prayer is the thing that keeps us in communion with Jesus. Relating to Jesus, depending on Jesus, relying on Jesus, it's through prayer. Prayer is how we get power. Listen, if we aren't a praying people, we have no power. If, if, if we don't pray, here's what we're saying. We're saying, if given enough time, my answers, my intelligence, my resources, my money will fix it. 
so I don't need to pray. Which means if we don't pray, we're also really arrogant. Prayer is how we stay humble. And, and whether you're a very visible person or a person that doesn't have any big role in anything, you can be proud. And the only way to stay humble is to pray because prayer is bringing your weaknesses and your helplessness to God. That's what it is. So how do we stay humble? How do we, how do we stay connected to Christ? How do we have spiritual power? It's through prayer. It's also how we love. Listen, we can't love each other if we don't pray for each other. And so Paul says, listen, if you're going to stand, you've got to put on Christ every day. You've got to be a person of prayer, engaging with the Lord, connected to him, asking him for help, leaning on and relying on him so that you can put on Christ and stand. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we know that the thief has come to kill and steal and destroy. And we thank you that you're the good shepherd who laid your life down for the sheep and who protects us. God, help us to put on Christ, to be found in him, to be dependent on him, to be strengthened and preserved and protected by Christ and Christ alone. We pray in his name. Amen.